What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Finance Simplified, the official podcast for Street Fins. We're here to break down the world of finance for you to understand from a relatable perspective with discussions with experts. My name is Rohan, and this is episode 29. My co-host Alex is currently on vacation in Iceland, so he's unfortunately not able to join us today for the intro and outro, but you'll hear him in the rest of the episode. As a result, I'll keep this episode's intro short. The topic of today's episode is simplifying options. Options are a type of investment that have become very popular, especially as of late. This episode will dive into the basics of options. We'll be making this topic a two-part conversation, so this episode is part one, and we'll be releasing part two in two weeks from when this drops. Additionally, we just want to remind you that if you are learning from our episodes and want to keep supporting what we're doing, we'd be eternally grateful if you gave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We'd also really love to know what feedback you have for us, so join our Discord channel to let us know how we're doing and what you would like to see from us going forward. We'll be teasing the next guest at the end of part two. Our guest is a well-known expert on options and an entrepreneur in the financial industry. So let's just get to simplifying. Welcome to Finance Simplified, the official podcast for street fins created by students that simplifies the seemingly complex and confusing world of money. We're your hosts, Rohan and Alex. Options are a popular and well-known investment that many investors, both retail and institutional, trade. The options market. The options. Stock options. Our guest today is Tom Sosnoff. He's a well-known name in the financial industry, having co-founded the famous trading platform Thinkorswim. His background and career are both so impressive that I think I'll just let him introduce himself. Sure. My name is Tom Sosnoff. I've kind of been around the option world for four decades. I currently am the CEO of Tasty Trade, and we are an online digital financial network. We also own a brokerage firm called Tasty Works, which is one of the fastest growing brokerage firms in America. About 98% of our business is options, futures, digital assets, and options on futures. So we're pretty much one of the leading boutiques in the world of derivatives trading for self-directed investors. That's awesome to hear. And you know, you're talking about Tasty Trade, but the other thing that you're really well known for is being the founder of Thinkorswim. And a lot of people in finance know of Thinkorswim now as it's TD Ameritrade's kind of educational trading platform in a sense. So how yeah. did you kind of get interested in finance? What drove you towards finance and to founding Thinkorswim? Well, when I went to school, which was like in another, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, you know, compared to you guys, it was late 70s. And we really didn't have finance majors. You couldn't major in finance. There really wasn't a business degree. There was economics and there were versions of math and things like that, but there wasn't, you know, we don't have the same choices you have today. There was no entrepreneurship degrees or things like that. So my undergraduate work was in political science. And I always thought I was going to be some kind of government lobbyist, international government, whatever it was. And when I got out of school, it was the middle of a recession. And the only job interview I got was with a company called Drexel Burnham, which was a really large boutique brokerage firm on Wall Street. And they offered me a job. So I took it and I've been in this industry ever since. So sometimes, you know, the best laid plans don't come out exactly what they're supposed to be. <laughs> I never bought a stock or traded an option or really made a trade before I started at Drexel in, in like 1980. And I've never left the business since. So it's been a little over 40 years. And this is all I've ever done. I left my job early on at Drexel to move to Chicago to trade on the floor of the CBOE. And I've basically been here ever since. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. Thanks for that intro. And, you know, I think it's really interesting how you've carved out your own niche in finance. That's really awesome. I kind of want to get into options. Could you explain for, you know, maybe viewers who don't understand options, have never really heard of options or derivatives. What is an option in the most basic sense? Options were originally created as a leveraged alternative to buying stocks. Somebody came up with the idea, okay, well, instead of putting up 100% of the capital was required to buy a stock, let's put up a small amount of money. Let's have a certain expiration date and some different strike prices. And let's create a way where you can participate in the upside with a shorter duration expiring environment. And so options were created as a directional leveraged speculative bet. They have since become something very, very different, which is a capital efficient slash strategic way to play different underlyings. You can be right and, and lose money. You can be wrong and make money. They are the only financial instrument that is actively traded, liquid, efficient, and at the same time, completely strategic. So I think that that's the neatest part about options. And again, when I started, I didn't know any of this stuff. I had to figure it out kind of on a fly. And so, you know, it's taken me a while. I'm a slow learner. Yeah. And could you maybe break down the two basic types of options? So the call option and the put option, you know, maybe how would they be used in sort of a retail sense? Is there maybe a scenario you can use that might illustrate how they'd best be used? Well, a call option is the right to buy a stock by a certain date at a certain price. And a put option is the right to sell a stock at a certain date, a certain price. And that was kind of in the most traditional of definitions. You know, that's how people used options as a way to get directionally long or short without having to get long or short the stock. And so it was another way to kind of play the stock market. Options have grown dramatically and dynamically in the last, you know, 40 years. I, like I said, I started in 1980 or 1981 on the floor of the SIBO. And I mean, they had just introduced puts a few years earlier. Now, you know, things are, when we built Thinkorswim in 1999, 2000, you couldn't even execute a spread order electronically. And now we do 200,000 spreads a day through our platform. So we've changed the industry through the introduction of some really cool technology. But the most important thing to know about options in 2021, especially for your listeners, is that just think of stocks as being really expensive and options as being very capital efficient. So who asked that question, Alex or Ron? Which one of you guys? Yeah, that? yeah, that was me. Okay, Alex. So let's say, how old are you? So I'm 19. 19. Ron, how old are you? Same age. 19. Okay. So let's say you guys, it's reasonable to assume as two 19-year-olds that you don't have unlimited capital. I'm just assuming, okay? It's a reasonable assumption, right? You don't have unlimited capital. You have not got to the point in your life yet where you've created the wealth that you're going to create over the rest of your life. So you come into a situation and you get to school one day and you're talking and you're like, you know what? I really love the stuff that Amazon's doing, or you really hate it. Either way, I don't care which way it is. You love it or hate it. And you look at each other and you go, but how do we trade Amazon? It's a 3,700. Well, right now today it closed at, let's say over $3,500. So to trade a hundred shares of Amazon is $350,000. It's unrealistic that two 19 year olds or 22 year olds or 30 year olds, even for that matter, are going to spend $100,000 to trade a hundred shares of Amazon. So what are your choices? Well, you can trade 
one share or 10 shares, let's say for, you know, $35,000 or one share for $3,500 or a fractional share, which makes absolutely no sense to me. Or you could potentially trade the theoretical equivalent of some amount of stock for significantly less. Like for example, if you're bearish, you could buy an at the money put spread in Amazon and pay $200 for it or $150 for it. If you're bullish, you can buy an at the money put spread and pay $220 for it. And you know it'll be $5 wide or something, or you can buy an out of the money call spread and you can pay $150 for it. So you could actually trade Amazon for $150 to $250 or whatever you want to spend. So the options, they kind of legitimize finance, especially for your generation, because they allow you to play in an arena that otherwise would be outpriced or out of reach because of price. That's why you see platforms like Robinhood, for example, or Webull, for example, that are free platforms you know, doing 60, 70% of their business and options because people can afford to trade them and they're much more capital efficient. It's, that's a, the simplest answer I can give. Oh, that's a fantastic answer. And, you know, so we talked about the one, which is you're paying premiums to purchase, you know, maybe a call option or a put option, but the other side of it is sort of this time element. And so I think part of the inherent risk of options, and, and let me know if you agree with me or not, is you have to be right, but you have to be right at the right time, especially if you're buying sort of short dated options. Can you kind of speak to the risk of playing options like that? And maybe what are your similar personal beliefs for retail investors or young investors and on how to play options? Absolutely. And so let's understand that when you have an efficient marketplace, because one of the most misunderstood things about options is that they have this inherent risk in of time value, right? Because that's kind of what you're thinking. Well, you know, the nice thing about stocks is you can theoretically hold them forever once you pay for them. And with options, you can't because they have this time value or this time decay, however you want to think about it. It's the right of that level of premium is what you pay for the right to have that leverage. So in order to be able to lever up anything, you've got to give somebody else the opportunity to make it attractive to sell you that right. And so the great thing about options is because they're so efficient and most of the markets are, you know, one, two or three pennies wide, you can take either side of that trade. So if you don't like the idea of buying premium because you think that the time decay is too negative, it's not something that interests you and you want to take the other side, go ahead and take the other side. You know, there are certain one-sided markets in the world, like different gambling, different bets you can make in sports and different casino bets you can make where the markets are very one-sided. But in the world of derivatives, whether it be stock options, futures, futures options, in any of those massive marketplaces, which is you know multi-trillion dollar marketplaces, you can take either side. So the efficiency, the beauty of the products is the efficiency of being able to be long or short either way. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And we're actually going to discuss sort of this distinction between going long, buying maybe a call option and, and actually selling covered calls or selling cash secured puts um, in a little bit. But I kind of want to transition from sort of this retail sense, because we've really been focused on the retail trader to maybe a corporate environment. So, you know, a company and maybe they want to hedge through options. Could you explain how options are used in, in the corporate world, maybe through futures contracts? Well, Listed stock options are rarely used. They're used in the institutional world 
from institutional money managers and obviously prop traders and market makers and things like that. Most companies are restricted by their boards from using options. So companies can't necessarily sell options against their own holdings, you know, against their treasury stock or against their own holdings or take speculative bets because there's too many ethical questions and there's too many potential material breaches in there of non-public information. So most companies stay away from the option marketplace. There are some companies that are dependent on different commodities to hedge. For example, right. like an airline. Yeah, that, was, that was sort of my question was sort okay. of futures contracts. Sure. So there are different commodities. Like, for example, you know, you can take an airline when prices of crude oil get super cheap, they might want to lock in some of those high premiums on the put side or some of those low prices via the call side, or there's different strategies they can use to lock in, you know, long-term purchases. They know they're going to be buying things. There's certain producers like home builders that might want to, you know, lock in lumber prices or farmers that might want to sell future crops like future corn, future wheat, future soybeans, or, you know, there are other ones that might want to buy stuff like copper when it gets real cheap, you know, because they know they're going to need copper for building. So there are lots of different commodities. And then of course, there's even index like products for mutual funds, for hedge funds, for bond funds, things like that, where they want to sell some premium when it gets expensive or sell some volatility when it gets expensive, you know, against corresponding portfolios. So there's lots of potential hedges in that regard. Individual corporations, not so much unless they're hedging a specific commodity. But yeah, you're spot on. You know, the great thing about options is whether you're doing a futures option or whether you're doing a listed equity option, the pricing model, whatever variation of Black-Scholes they're using, the models are essentially the same. And they're incredibly efficient because there's so much money chasing higher returns and they're chasing alpha essentially that bottom line is it doesn't matter what underlying product you're looking at. As long as there's liquidity to that product, the markets are going to be efficient. That's a great example. And thanks for highlighting that. I think it is really interesting that this idea of sort of hedging and buying contracts, whether it's options or futures, is, is really something that's pervasive across finance, whether that's you know corporate finance for hedging through certain commodities or even just retail traders wanting to hedge their positions or, or even just make their position in the market clear through options. So Thanks for breaking that down. And, you know, options, it seems very complicated to the retail investor. And, you know, if you're, if you're new to finance options, you know, very difficult to understand. There's exotic, plain vanilla, American, European, and there's just all these complex terms and, you know, pricing is hard to understand. There's the Greeks. If you were to tell maybe a retail trader or try to explain to them, how would you sort of break down options and how would you advise them if, if they do want to try, you know, in trade options? Sure. So, well, first of all, you know, you're right in the sense that options, because they're the most strategic, are also the most complex of all financial instruments. It's because they are not black and white. It's because they are not static. It's because by definition, they're dynamic. And so the first thing I'd say is that you have to be on a strong technology platform. So one of the things like that we do is, you know, when we built Thinkorswim, we really changed the industry with respect to building software that would help individual investors navigate, you know, complex derivatives products and complex derivative strategies like options and futures. And, you know, the Thinkorswim platform was a game changer. And we spent 10 years of our lives just building that platform. 
we were public companies, so we got bought out by TD Ameritrade, who's eventually got bought out by Schwab. So now it's a Schwab platform, but it's old. And now we went on to build Tastyworks. And these platforms are very intuitive. And the way they're designed, they make you know complex products really simple in that regard. So that's one thing. You improve the technology. The second thing is you reduce fees, which we've essentially done across the board. The third thing is you get better markets. So there's no bid ask. So the bid ask differential is incredibly tight so that individual investors don't feel like they're getting ripped off by you know wide markets because the markets are only a couple of pennies wide. So you solve some major problems right up front. You have great technology, low prices, great markets. Then what you do is you know, a firm like Tasty Trade comes along and we create free content that is all quantitative in nature. So no, we know this is going to happen or that's going to happen. All just mathematical, all quant-based statistics and probabilistic content that changes the way people really look at and understand. You got to realize something. Most people are super smart. And when you take super smart people and you give them a mathematical approach to something, all of a sudden their eyes light up and they're like, I can do this. This is not that complicated. And the truth is, it's not that complicated and they can do it. And so you add to low prices, you add to efficient markets, you add to great technology, some great content. And then all of a sudden you're able to bridge a lot of the challenges. And then really, what are you asking somebody to do? You're asking them, just check it out. Just see if it works. You know what? Just make a trade and see if you like it. And you can stay super small. Yeah, no, that's really awesome because, you know, you're talking about if you kind of simplify the mathematics of it, a lot more people are going to start playing in it. And obviously one of the bigger kind of mathematical hurdles to come over is this idea of options pricing. So let's kind of delve into that. So most people in finance, and if they hear about, and if they're learning about options, they'll undoubtedly come across the the Black-Scholes model and it kind of as like the king of option pricing models. So how should we begin to understand that? Like, what are the main variables? I'm thinking maybe like volatility, interest rates, you know, the Greeks, things like that. How should we just begin to understand that in a simple sense? You're right. There's only, you know, a handful of variables that go into computing black shells, which ultimately spits out something we call implied volatility, which is both a measure of fear and expected move. And then implied volatility is generated is a number that's backed into off bid-ass differential. So what you have is a competitive marketplace that generates a volatility number that fits inside of a Black-Scholes model that you add to that duration, interest rates, strike price. And next thing you know, you know you've got pretty accurate theoretical pricing and firms can adjust accordingly. And the nice thing is it's consistent across multiple products. And the other thing is there's so much competition for market making that in the end, pricing is just... You know, I mean, it's not even off by a quarter of a cent anymore. There's no inefficiency in it whatsoever. What I will say is, like, if you guys want to go, we have a couple of mathematicians that work for us. And our site, we do a segment called the Skinny on Options Math. And the lead, a PhD from the University of Chicago named Jacob Perlman, who's a brilliant mathematician, we've broken down every aspect of Black-Scholes from Black-Scholes from, you know, actual Brownian bridges all the way back to kind of like, you know, second and third level derivatives. And we have some incredibly brilliant, you know, just data scientists and mathematicians and physicists that really break down the simplicity 
and also the efficiency of Black-Scholes, you know, in its traditional sense and a proprietary sense. And I encourage you to go, it's all free archives um, on the Taste of Trade site. And you can just Google the, the skinny and option math, Jacob Perlman and Black-Scholes, and you'll find some of the greatest content you've ever seen on the topic. He's, you know, out there and it's all just optimized math modeling. Hey everyone, that was the end of part one of our two-part interview with Tom Sosnoff on simplifying options. We'll be releasing part two of our interview in about two weeks from when this releases. But the first half of the conversation was absolutely incredible. Here are some of my key takeaways. The first takeaway is that options appeal to investors and traders because they are a strategic and capital efficient way to bet. Rather than buy a stock for hundreds of dollars, options provide a much cheaper way to capitalize on market movements. This leads to our second takeaway which is that the two main factors to keep in mind are time and volatility with options. After all, volatility is the best measure of if an option will reach its strike price before its expiration date. The final takeaway is that like all things in finance, options, while they seem complex, can be broken down into simple ideas that can later be rebuilt into more complex concepts like pricing equations and trading strategies, both of which will be covered in the next part. Part 2 will be dropping on September 15th, which is two weeks from now. We'll talk to you all then. Hey guys, I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. It truly means the world to us. If you like this episode and others, let us know by subscribing and giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts and following us on Spotify. Share us with your friends and check us out on Instagram and Twitter, both at StreetFins. You can also follow me on Twitter at Rohan Invest. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email fspodcast at streetfins.com. Thanks once again to Tom Sosnoff for his insights today. I hope you understand the topic of options in a more simplified way. I also want to thank Jeffrey Lee for his amazing audio editing skills and for having edited our audio for the past year. Once again, we're really happy that you're taking the initiative to learn finance and to better your future. If you haven't already, we highly encourage you to check out streetfins.com for articles, videos, and other content. Join the Streetfins community and tell your friends about us so that they can learn about finance too. We'll talk to you next time on Finance Simplified.